Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we begin today's episode, I'm going to spend a few seconds telling you about our Patreon, where you can support the show. It's patreon.com slash a new winter, and you get exclusive podcast episodes, and you can donate even a dollar if you want, but everything you give will help me be able to spend more time working on the show. Patreon.com slash a new winter. If you don't have the money and want to help, then great. Please rate and review the podcast, because that really does make a huge difference. Thank you. Culture. Hi guys, welcome to A New Winter Cults and Culture, and today we're going to be talking about Star Wars, Episode 8, The Last Jedi. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power, and beyond that, something truly special. So this was released in 2017. It's the second film of what is dubbed the new trilogy of Star Wars films. Carrie Fisher is back, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega. Benicio Del Toro is here, Laura Dern. He's not here here, as in he's in the film. Andy Serkis, Mark Hamill, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Billy Lord, who's Carrie Fisher's daughter, and she has a proper part in this one. Adrian Edmondson is in it, who's Eddie from Bottom. Some random people from Game of Thrones. There's a lot of other random cameos as well. You've got Ben Schwartz and Bill Hader. They do some of the BB-8 noises. Justin Theroux is in it. Lily Cole. Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a voice in it. Warwick Davis. Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One. Even Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish are in it. Gary Barlow is in it. Mark Hamill's kids are in it. Tom Hardy had a scene which was cut. And even Prince William and Prince Harry had a go. So a few few people in there it's directed by ryan johnson rian ryan who did brick looper and more recently knives out it's on the cinema now it grossed over 1.3 billion dollars worldwide and became the ninth highest grossing film of all time during its theatrical run during its development the trilogy had seemingly not even been properly written yet mark hamill was very outspoken about how he didn't agree with luke's character arc something he later said that he regretted john williams came back and he did the music as well 
So when the film was actually released, there was some problems with Disney actually making specific requirements to cinemas. I'm just going to read this out exactly how I've got it here, um, just so I don't mess it up. But it was reported that Disney had placed notable conditions on US cinema screening Last Jedi, which some operators described as onerous. Disney required that the film be screened in a cinema's largest auditorium for a four-week period. Other Disney releases have had similar clauses, but only for two weeks, and was given a 65% cut of ticket sales, a percentage higher than the 55-60% to average of other major films, and cited as the highest split ever demanded by a Hollywood film behind the 64% split of The Force Awakens. The agreement, which was required to be kept confidential, also contained regulations on promotions and restrictions on removing any scheduled screening. Violations were to be penalised with an additional 5% cut of ticket sales. Because of this, some cinemas declined to screen the film, particularly smaller or one-screen cinemas that would otherwise be barred from screening any other film during the commitment period. Industry representatives considered this policy reasonable, citing the performance of Disney releases and the Star Wars franchise, and that the guaranteed business attracted by the film and concession sales would make up for the larger cut of ticket sales. So basically Disney kind of strong-armed their way in, essentially, and asked for more money for the tickets and said it's Star Wars, so you're all going to make money. Um, But yeah, I did hear that a lot of cinemas had a problem with this and that Disney kind of throwing their uh, weight around a little bit. kind of yeah put people off it was you know tantamount a little bit to maybe you know business bullying almost it's probably most notable in the fact that critics did seem to love the film i think it's got like a 91 92 percent i think on rotten tomatoes and while a lot of the star wars films community and fandom were actually heavily critical of it and i know some people um really love it and some people really hate it so it really is like a marmite film love it or hate it and you know, the people who hated it went to town on it. They harassed the director, Ron Johnson. Um, Johnson. It was the target of a review bombing campaign. And for a lot of people, they felt like it ruined Star Wars. So where do I stand on it? So when I went to see it on the cinema, I hated it, <laughs> truth be told. And then when I saw it, when it came out on the smaller screen, I watched it then, and I didn't mind it as much now that I knew what all the story beats were. And having watched it again last night, I actually got to enjoy it a lot more for the simple fact that I knew exactly what was kind of going to happen. So I really detested it, and I'll kind of go through why as I talk about it. But it's not quite as bad um, as my initial reaction. And as I, the more I watch it, the more I kind of understand where the film, uh, where Ryan Johnson essentially is coming from and what he's trying to do. But what I think the problem was is that it's not um, a lot of things about it. I think there's a couple of bits which are really key to how Star Wars should be handled and that were mishandled. So not a sense of like, oh, you know, people just moaning because this or like because it wasn't what they wanted it to be. I can see why people think that, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's a couple of scenes and a couple of key plot points that weren't didn't feel right and actually actually kind of hurt the rest of the film basically and i think there are there are ways that you ways you could have done it basically that wasn't essentially like pandering to fans but would have been in line with the character and the characters that had already been established through like the previous where it was seven films before that well you know four or five so yeah so now we're going to go into the plot so if you don't know the film then spoiler warning. So the opening crawl, which is always great, is as thus. 
The First Order reigns. Having decimated the peaceful republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. So that's where we are. So we open up pretty much straight after Force Awakens. And we have Poe and Hux have this like strange comedy gag thing where um, Poe is thinking he's stalling basically, but pretending like he's on hold and he's kind of making a fool of Hux. And it's interesting that they've tried to do the classic Disney Marvel humor thing by making sure it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is fine for Marvel, but that's because it has those type of characters in it, but it feels a bit weird with Star Wars and it pretty much sets the tone for the rest of the film where it's like, this is weird. I don't really expect the characters to do this. And de- defying expectations, isn't it? Um, yeah. But it's a shame because it kind of disarms Hux as a proper villain because you wouldn't get something like this with Vader, would you? Who's, you know, you want to see someone as a real threat, a real bad guy. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to take yourself seriously. Sometimes it's fine for like a film like this to be serious. You know, there are serious things at stake here within the context of the film. So what's weird is this could have been straight out of Spaceballs, basically, as I was watching it. And, you know, no one would have noticed. Um, but yeah, Hux kind of feels like the villain goofball, really. And seeing as he's basically our representative of the First Order's military presence, it does kind of take away a little bit of that threat. I mean, Poe even does a your mum joke, which is you know, pretty good. So Poe basically takes out the cannons, um, <clears throat> that are on top of the spaceship and it's the classic oh it's so small we can't target it fine whatever bb8 has to repair the weapon system classic r2 roll and you know that's fine that's all fine poe takes down the cannons and refuses to come back uh to base so we've kind of got his arc of being like he's literally rebelling <laughs> against the rebel the rebels um then these bombers come in and i was thinking surely likes the worst job it's literally you're being a you're being like a terrorist almost. You're like a you've got bombs strapped to you. You're literally sitting on a pile of bombs that could blow up at any second, and you're just going in hoping that you know no one shoots a bomb, even though it's full of bombs. You know, it's not really a surprise they blow up so easily. Um, anyway, whatever. So this rebellion fighter manages to, um, you know, her one gets stuck or whatever, and she opens the doors. And and we're able to drop all the bombs by catching this control thing at the last second and fine. So I quite like this sequence. The fact that it all hinges on this one woman making a catch is pretty great. It's like classic Luke kind of stuff. And the idea is that some people, you know, I know, you know, some people think that people are force sensitive, like Han Solo. He doesn't have the force, but he's a bit force sensitive, let's say. And that's why he's such a great pilot or whatever, things like that. And it kind of works here. So we see her holding onto this necklace thing, which we see the other half of later with her sister. But this is classic Star Wars. It's one person versus the Empire kind of thing. And I like it. It's a great great opener. Uh, but Leia's like, you know, you can tell yeah, she's lost so many people. So many people have died, so many casualties. And it looks like all this death is kind of weighing heavily on her. Um, Snoke contacts Hux. And I love how evil and emperorish Snoke is here. Andy Serkis is great. Does a really good job on this one. So... We're told that they've gone because they've gone into hyperspace. It doesn't really matter because they can track them, which what we find out later is some kind of new tech. Uh, and then we cut to Finn. So Finn wakes up in this weird liquid suit thing, and this was probably the first instance where my emotional investment from the previous film just got discarded, basically, because I'd obviously spent two years thinking, "Oh God, you know, 
what's going to happen with Finn? He was like put into this like sleep chamber or whatever. And he'd be all right when he wake up and he just wakes up and it's fine. And it's just played for laughs. If anything, it's like, Oh, okay. Cause I really was worried and you've just kind of made it funny, but okay. Okay. Yeah. But I think maybe it'd been better had he got a little bit more weight to it. Doesn't, doesn't, not everything has to be played for laughs. Um, and even if someone just turned around and said, Hey, we are, we thought we almost lost you there, bud. Or something like that. Some kind of recognition that he was a bit messed up and that he was needed to touch and go for a while. It would have felt a bit more emotionally satisfying, but instead he's just thrown right into the action. Like none of it actually mattered. I also enjoy the homoerotic nature of Poe and Finn as well, because I know people think it's just, oh, it's just a bromance. Yeah. They're just school brothers or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's that part of me. It's like, eh, maybe it's more than that. Maybe there's a little, you know, homosexual thing kind of going on. Um, so now we're back with Luke and that huge moment that ended Force Awakens and, you know, got us all excited at the end. And then, yeah, Luke throws his lightsaber, lightsaber behind his back. And it's quite important, actually, because some some saw it as a symbol for the film itself. You know, think you know, think this is important? Well, it's not. It's literally tossing away fan service. And in my head, at least, Luke was this, like, powerful warrior that was being called back into the fight now. And the possibilities would be endless. You know, he's gone into hiding, but he's back now. Would he now be even more powerful than any other Jedi had ever been? Would he be leading, like, a new army of Jedi? Would he basically have powers we've never seen before? Would we see him face off with Snoke? And all these questions are basically just like, meh, tossed away. And instead we've got this grumpy, selfish old man who's basically embittered with the world, hates himself and thinks everything's like a bunch of BS. Fine, okay, that's the, that's the choice you've gone down. But the real problem here, and, and what it sounds like Mark Hamill might have also had, is that, yeah, this is different from what people expected. Fine, don't mind that. Defying expectations doesn't necessarily make anything better. So I, you know, I quite like the idea Luke is disenchanted but there's no sign whatsoever of the luke we knew before at this point anyway um and in fact he's regressed if anything he's like a moody teenager and we've already got that with bloody adam driver so the luke that we remembered i think saw hope in everything right even at the lowest moments even with darth vader he saw hope which they do kind of mention a bit later on but it's just the like the self-centeredness, the fact that he's gone into hiding, shirked his responsibilities, and it just, it's like, that doesn't sound like the Luke we knew. Like, he wouldn't do that. So there had to be a big turning point, right? Something that kind of messed him up that he would turn out like this. And when we find out what it is, it doesn't really justify it, um, I think, anyway. So, and again, with this scene right now, so we see a lightsaber. The lightsaber is something, it's a symbol. It's something that's sacred to fans everywhere, something that's, powerful in this world and it's just chucked away and um, you know it's done as a joke but what people don't realize what filmmakers maybe don't realize is that it's the ex- at the expense of the fans it's basically saying look at look at how dear this thing is to you and we're gonna laugh at you because you think it's so important Bleh. and it's it's kind of like the casual viewer understanding the self-importance and near religious fervor basically of the lightsaber and then mocking it yeah so, I mean, it's risky, but this whole self-aware style of Marvel comedy, I, don't, I just don't think it's appropriate all the time. Um, yeah, and I know it's kind of, it's it feels like it's taken from someone who basically wants to take the piss a bit. And that's a really dangerous move for something like Star Wars. And I'm not saying it has to play up to fanboy service, but don't laugh at them. <laughs> don't mock them, you know? Anyway. So Ray tries to talk Luke into like coming back. Chewie walks in and there's the thing that like Luke goes, oh, you know, what, what about Han? 
And I was thinking, oh, can he not sense it? And I know this comes into later because he's blocked out all four stuff, okay, whatever. But his reaction is off screen. And that's a real big mistake, in my opinion, because we've just had this moment with Luke. And having his reaction to Han being dead um, just would have given us a slight insight into the Luke that we knew. It's an emotional reaction and weight that we would have wanted to see, right? We could have reflected on it together with him. It's an emotional moment that instead gets chopped out or lost or it's like left to our imaginations. And usually I'm fine with that, but this is the new Luke and it's an opportunity for us to connect with him as an audience here. And yeah, it's just been lost. So we see Snoke in this cool room, basically, cool red room. So I have a problem with CG generally. And here I just can't help but think it just looks, he looks so fake. He just looks fake. He's watching a cartoon and just takes away any threat. (laughs) basically whatsoever. I'd rather him hidden in shadows or something like that, or just like another hologram. But, you know, we, but anyway, we see the big bad guy and Andy Serkis is great here. Great voice. Kylo for me could have been one of the greatest villains in history. I'm going to be honest. I loved his look. I love Adam Driver. I loved his mask, his voice, but the fact that he spends it all, you know, this mask off takes away the emotional impact of when we see a human face. And that's what made Vader's reveal at the end of Jedi so much more, in Return of the Jedi, so much more impactful because he was a faceless threat to us for so long, but underneath it all, he's just human. He's just a normal guy. And, you know, Kylo almost does this the other way. He's like an emotional human person that we see all the time. And the the potential to be a real scary and threatening villain is buried deep down instead. You know, I don't know. I like his inner conflict, even though it's... Spoke, I feel like it's spoken about more than it's actually shown on screen because it's very it's a very cheap way for someone just to keep getting angry all the time. Um, but, you know, I just wish there was more of him with the mask, basically, that it was a bit more of a... The mask was a bit more of a symbol. Like It can, it can be a very on-the-nose representation of how he hides himself and maybe it's something they could have used to greater effect and it just looks cool. Um, I don't know, but... Yeah, it's just underused. He's he's such an emo pretty boy underneath. It's just hard to see him as scary. It's like he's a poster boy and people be like, well, Adam Driver isn't that good looking. It's like, yeah, but he's perfectly like quaffed hair. You know, if he was like disfigured or just didn't have such perfect hair, it would have made, it made me feel like, you know, this childish teen angst would have been a bit more justified. I don't know. But I never for once thought he was embracing the dark side for his power or anything like that. It always just felt like it was more for like, he was just rebelling against something, anything. And that's why he took to the dark side. And that's the difference, really. Like, he's a man-child. He's not a threat. And even Snoke says that. You know, she calls he calls his mask childish and makes the point that he couldn't even beat Rey, who had never even held a lightsaber before. And then he says, you know, as long as Skywalker lives, hope lives in the galaxy. And I was like, like what, his, his war is against hope. I mean, bad guys can hope that they win. Like, it's just a word. Like, hope isn't necessarily just for the good guys. If it was something like, well, Skywalker lives, hope lives within the rebellion, and that would make more sense. But, I don't know, by making it so, like, universal, it loses its immediate power. The the whole point of Star Wars, really, is, like, small actions. It's the small battles against an epic backdrop. And that's Star Wars. Like, you know, don't force everything to be epic, because it just doesn't land when it needs to. Anyway, Kylo breaks his helmet, um... You know, he's not just a boy in a mask, as Snoke says. And I'm conflicted because I like how Snoke is basically suggesting that Kylo is a boy, which, you know, as I've just discussed, he's playing dress up as the bad guy. I just wanted more of it. I wanted more of the fact that the poor kid can't impress the bad or the good side, you know? 
like he can't do anything right and that maybe he's just and like I really like the idea that maybe he's just not that powerful like Ray is supposed to be more powerful than him right and I think that would have made a better story because he keeps getting bested and yeah have him embrace the dark side because he thinks it's the quicker easier path to gain more power um more than anything else but he doesn't actually have that much power say that'd be great and maybe that is happening maybe that's happening within the film but if that's the case I'd like to have them to have given it a bit more focus anyway we cut back to Luke and we see a day in the life of Luke basically he's unnecessarily sweeping over ravines to capture big fish in tiny waters which just doesn't make sense he's drinking this blue milk which is disgusting and the way Ray reacts makes you think oh is this slightly sexual (laughs) like why is she embarrassed by it like he's looking like the thing's looking at her and she's like uh okay <laughs> like she's like walked in on something um and now ray finds this old jedi temple and luke realizes that she's got you know something within her that she's special so poe gets a dressing down from leia not following orders finn finds out about the tracking device on ray and the new plan is apparently trying to find a new base which is what they end up doing anyway by the end of the film. But this is apparently the new plan. So actually the plan, and he's like, why don't you tell me the plan? Whatever. And people say, oh, the plan. That's been the plan all along since the beginning. Like the thing where it's like, oh my God, you're going to that planet where there's no base. They'd be like, yeah, we said that <laughs> right at the beginning. It's like, oh, well, Laura Dan didn't tell. Yeah, but we said it. We, you were there. Anyway. So they find out that they've been tracked. And I know it's the whole point. It's like, well, you didn't say it was that specific planet. Okay, fine. So they find out they've been trapped through light speed and they get into their ships and they have this, like the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters and they have the space battle for whatever reason. So I'm guessing that they have these dogfights to protect the ships, right? But surely the First Order can just completely overrun them, right? Surely it has loads of TIE Fighters. So I don't see why they just don't keep trying with the little fighters. But, you know, they've blown up half of the X-Wings already. But then it's like, oh, the, the ships are out of range for the destroyers. So the fighters will have to fall back so we can't cover them. It's like, well, I'm, but does that, do you have to? Does it matter? Um, anyway, I don't know. So Kylo goes to shoot um, to call his mother, realises his mother is on it. They have this moment in the force and she feels him, he feels her. And he actually doesn't shoot, which I thought was quite good, instead of leaving it to his enemies. So it's a nice scene, which I thought shows how he does still have that human side to him. And also maybe it's like killing Han might have really screwed him up, like to such a degree that he can't do the same with his mother. Like he's literally scarred, visually scarred. And maybe killing Han... You know, it's, it's the mental scar as well. You know, it's a symbol for the scarring. So she gets blown out into space and I thought it was a pretty cool shot and everyone's like kind of sucked out. So this next shot I wasn't so sure about because Carrie Fisher basically slowly flies through the air like Superman. And I know, so in hindsight of um, Rise of Skywalker, we now know that she was trained by Luke and actually... It looks like bested Luke at, um, at some point. And so we know that she actually does have force powers and that she can use them. But we haven't had an indication of this um, before this point. So instead, when I first saw it, I suddenly thought, oh, right, she's suddenly like the force is like switched on and saved her like as a survival instinct of some sort. And it's not the fact that she has Jedi powers now, um, but it's something, it was something that was special for Luke, but fine. And even though I know they said, you know, at the end of um, was it Empire or Jedi, I can't remember now, where they go like, Yoda goes, there is another. Um, that was an awful Yoda impression. But um, it's just that now it seems like that she's only just aware of it now that she's almost died. 
And instead of, like, when people use the Force in Star Wars, it looks like they're, like, struggling with it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it looks like there's, a, um, like they're really having to really push for it or something like that. But, like, here, there's no struggle whatsoever. So it makes, it doesn't really make an impact at all. Instead, she smoothly glides very gracefully to where she needs to be. Like, her eyes wide open even though she's in space and it's all, it's all just fine. Uh, it, and so it doesn't feel like it's been earned. And that's the thing, like when you're, when you're making, when you're writing a story like this, and this is, you know, and how, you know, who am I to say this? <laughs> it's like Ryan Johnson. But the best stories that I enjoy are the ones where payoffs feel earned. And I really don't feel like this was earned, not in a sense of she didn't do anything as a character, but in a sense of her, if she was like kind of struggling with the force a little bit or she had inklings of it and then suddenly like she really had to pull it out of the bag in order to survive, then great. But it's just the way it's kind of like switches on and then she just, and then she just glides in and like, it's no big thing. And it's like, it is a big thing. So in the moment of the story, it's a big thing, but for her in the context of the world that we're presented, it should be a big thing. So I don't know. It's, it's, you know, moments like this, with the force for untrained people, which we would have presumed, or I did presume at that point that Princess Leia was, it always feels like they're just suddenly aware of something. It's more of a moment. Do you know what I mean? It's more like there's more of a reaction or something to the fact that she can do this. Um, Maybe it takes like a physical toll, but here gliding in and it just, and visually I thought it looked a bit silly. I think I laughed when I saw it in the cinema. I was like, what the hell is this? And that's the problem with it. It's not a problem that I have with Leia having the force. That's good. And that's great. And, you know, I'd like to have seen that a bit more, actually. But just the way they've presented it, weird, very weird. Um, so, yeah, the next scene, we have a nice bit here of Luke having a bit of a moment on the Falcon. And, yeah, I think it's kind of needed. You know, he's kind of reminiscing here. And it's nice. You're hearing, you know, just getting a reminder of who he is. You hear that original, help me, everyone can be my only hope and all this stuff. But I feel like it should have had more. And this is more of that stuff that I wanted. But anyway, the, the whole point, point of it was that, you know, he's training. He's going to train Ray. Great. So Poe gets a bit worried um, in the next scene about being put in charge because they've got this big meeting. And I was like, okay, there's some character stuff kind of going on here. But it's not clear whether... He looks worried, and I think it is that he's worried to get him of a charge, but you're not clear if it's just he's worried that like who that might be. Not that it's even him, but that it's like, oh, you know, what's you know, what's gonna who's it gonna be? Is it gonna be someone awful? Um and then I don't know, and then he says like, Oh, she's not what I expected. So there's a couple of things here. Is it that she means because it's a woman? Can't be that, right? Because I mean Leia was obviously a woman and he was fine with it. So what do you mean doesn't ex- expect? Is it because that she's a woman and he'd heard all these stories about this, you know, this general? Um, is it because she looks like she's like very, like, a, I don't know, very modern hipster, um, hippie mum or something like with a bright, what was it, pink purplish hair? Uh, I don't know. Um, and then I was like, is he kind of saying, or is he saying that he fancies her? So is it like they've kind of, you know, not what I was expecting. Like, you know, oh, she's really pretty. She's hot. I didn't expect her to look like that. You know, it's Laura Dern. He's a good looking woman. And it, and then it's like, well, are they setting up some weird 
sexual tension thing that kind of is throughout the film. And it is a bit throughout the film, you know, there's tension here. And it's like, yeah, is that, am I supposed to believe that sexual tension? Because it's, it's only hinted at the beginning with this. And then at the end, when she's like, he's a feisty one or something weird and creepy. Um, and in fact, you know, I don't know. The whole thing, this is, is a bit strange, but right. So he comes in, he comes in and he's basically mansplaining to her, which is great. And um, she's like, I don't have to tell you anything. And I think the fact that he's like all bold and brash and aggressive, I'm like, I don't really like that Poe. Um, because that's the thing. When you had someone like Han Solo, who is bold and brash and, uh, and aggressive and things like that, it always had like a playful tinge on it or like a sense of like sarcasm. But with this, he's just like stomping around like a fucking five-year-old swinging his dick about. And it's like, what are you, why are you being like this about it? So, and I know like, and this is a common upset. I, st- I still watching it again and again, I still don't know why she just didn't explain the original plan again anyway. They've just explain it. There's no, like, they've already established that plan and that is the end plan. So why does she just say, we told you what was going on. Leia says, we're still keeping to that plan. Instead, she takes it as like, like a, as a macho thing on his part and she doesn't want to say it. And it's like, cut your nose off, spite your face a little bit. It's like, what difference does it make? You've told the plan. Like, oh, she kept the plan to herself. She didn't, it's not her plan for a start. It wasn't, it was told to everyone through Leia at the beginning of the film, before this. So what is the problem? I don't understand. So instead... And this is the problem that people, you know, because they kind of set her up a bit like an enemy a little bit here um, because she belittles him, essentially, in front of everyone. Like, and, and in the same way, like, obviously, he's belittling her by, like, asking questions. But the thing is, it's like, you're the rebellion. Like, you're supposed to ask questions. You don't just take orders blindly. That's the whole point of it is that you're humans and you're trying to, you know, stop this kind of thing. The whole thing is just really, really weird. Um, yeah, and she like dismisses him as like a trigger happy fly boy and basically puts him in his place. Like he's like, well, you're not even like you got demoted, didn't you? Like, what the hell am I supposed to talk to you about? I don't care. So it's a little uncalled for on both their parts. But surely her being actually in charge, she should have, you know, she should be above this essentially. Um, yeah, but he has been a bit of a dick. But yeah. It's the the point of these guys, the rebellion, is about hope, right? So yeah, she's now the bad guy, basically, isn't she? In this scenario, she's the military leader, you know. And this is a stereotype, essentially, even though it's usually some like I always think of like the guy in Avatar, or whatever. But she's the military leader who doesn't want any independent thought, but blind obedience. That's what this scene is kind of saying. Like, you know, I don't need to tell you, I'm in charge, and it's like of the rebellion or the resistance or whatever it's called, which is all about not just following blindly into things like this, about hope and things. Weird. It's so strange. Anyway, so back to Finn. Finn tries to escape to go find Ray, and he's caught by Rose. And she basically stuns him and, you know, she finds out what he's trying to do and we find out that her sister was that bombardier or whatever in the beginning who died Finn is just like, look, I need to find Ray. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so whatever all this stuff is. So they come up with an idea to basically, it's so weird how they come up with it anyway. Like, the fact, 
that they're, you know, the setup of this conversation, but fine. They come up with an idea to basically hack onto the tracker on board and then escape before they realize, um, before the first order realize what's happened. And that kind of makes sense. Okay. So they call, they call Maz, whatever her name is, from the first film, who's just in like the middle of some fight. And again, it's like one of those things where it's like, we don't want to turn this into the prequels where people are just standing and talking. Like, we've got to have her doing something. It's like, you don't have to have her doing something. It's sometimes, it's okay just to stand there and have a conversation that's not, doesn't have to be like in the heat of the battle or like rushed or like, oh my God, the world's going to explode any second. It's fine to kind of just be like, oh, you know, where's this person? But of course it's, it's sensed as boring, I guess. But, you know, really weird way to do it. And also like, we don't, care about her we don't really even know who she is is she a well-loved character that needed to come back honestly i don't know it's not it's not me being sarcastic i was just like oh this character who han apparently knew han um is back and she's you know doing some clerical duties (laughs) some admin for these other guys while she's like trying to you know why did you even answer the call anyway if you're in the middle of shooting it's been okay i could probably take this and do this at the same time whatever so she says that um and how she know how does she know this anyway but he's at a planet and he's got a red um casino planet essentially whatever it's called and he's got a red thing on his lapel um it's and it's strange it's like could rose or poe just know of someone like can't they just why do they have to do this why do they have to add add this bit um whatever It, it just feels silly so it's trying to justify justify her presence in the first film, maybe because you know she didn't really do that much at the beginning. And I think they were just like, it's a new character, look, and she's like, oh, she's a bit sassy, and she's, you know, and it's like I don't care, like I don't need. She's not interesting. Um, no, she is interesting. Look, look, look what she's doing. She's not interesting. Stop, just leave it, okay? Thanks, thanks. So anyway, next bit. Um, Ray and Kylo have this moment together and um yeah so fine and they're kind of building up these little um, bits between them establishing more of a relationship which i think is interesting but yeah so luke trains ray a bit and this is fine uh you know a bit of talking about the force um and you know they're trying to add a bit of humor in it i don't mind this bit she um he says how she went straight to the dark that's interesting and that kind of sets up a little bit for rise of skywalker Um, but she also realizes that he's closed himself off from the force, uh, which makes sense. So the fact that, um, he can't, he doesn't really know what's going on really. No one can communicate him or find him because he's essentially shut that off. And, you know, can you, is that something you can do? I guess like, we don't know really how the strict the rules are about it working, but yeah. So it's a good scene in a sense of like, Oh, it's like, you know, Ray, she went straight to the dark, did she? That's interesting. And also this thing, like almost like a mental health issue, essentially, when like, Luke has closed this part down um, of him because it, he's, the force sensitivity is way too sensitive. Um, so that was quite interesting. Uh, and yeah, he says um, Ben Solo had some of that raw strength as well. And he's fearful that he's going to make the same mistake twice. She's super powerful. Okay, cool. So... That's again pushing the whole like Ray's really powerful, Kylo Ren's really powerful. They're super powerful. Great, 
I don't mind stuff like that, especially when it's coming from Luke, who we know and we trust and we and all this stuff. Great. So <laughs> what I love is that they're giving Billy Lord a little bit more to do with each film, it feels like. So she's working with Poe and they're going to try and get Finn um, out to this casino world to do this, um, find this guy. Uh, you know, fine. Okay, cut back. Kylo and Ray having another little chat. He gets a guessing as to why he destroyed the temple. And I like this, that Luke might be lying about something. It's intriguing. It's setting up a little mystery. Nice. Finn flies to the gambling planet and lands on the beach. And it's a bit silly, as I think, isn't the whole point of it? They shouldn't really be drawing attention to themselves. And it sounds like, you know, it sounds like, because the guy's just like, oh, I don't know what to park there. But you're like, why are they, just park somewhere else then? Go to the car park. Like, just pulled up out front and then be like, okay, we've got to find this. Like, why are you doing that to yourself? Ugh, like whatever so maybe and, and again it's little mistakes like this which really cost people their lives down the line don't it because if they just parked up normally then they wouldn't have been chased then they would have found um <laughs> justin through whatever his name is louis through's cousin and been like here's the problem and he would be like oh okay cool i'll come help then they'll do that and then they could have actually got away and not had benicio del toro dob them in another character who's there and never seen again i guess Unless there's a spin-off. Great. Spin-offs. We love them. Um, anyway, we're obviously going a bit ahead. So, like, I, I understand that they're trying to give a sense of this urgency. Like, we've got to find something now. It's going to run out of fuel. If you don't do it now, it's never. But just a quick, quick scene of them by this ship and just being like, oh, forget it. Just leave it here. No one will notice. Would have helped. You know, just something like that. So it makes... a there's an element of like, it doesn't just make them look like idiots who are just leaving that there. Just some kind of reasoning about it. Like we don't have time to get to the park. It's on the other side of the planet or something. It's like, look, we need to just park down here. We haven't got time. We've got, you know, something like that rather than it's just like, it's just got a shot of it. And this guy going, I don't know to park there. So just little, just little things really annoys me. <laughs> so yeah. So they go inside the casino and, Okay, I hated this whole bit. Going back and watching it, I like seeing how the upper class live for once in Star Wars. You don't really get a taste of it. In the prequels, obviously, you have all this diplomatic stuff and royalty and whatever. And I like that. I liked that aspect of it. And I quite like the idea here of like, this is what the rich do in the Star Wars universe. But it felt way too self-serving rather than serving the story. Like the shots, they've got the one shot where it's kind of going through everything. And I was just like, okay. And they're kind of walking through and it's like, look at all these crazy stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's not that crazy though. <laughs> like, okay, there's some bits of this which is cool, but uh, you know, you're kind of going on a little bit too long with it. And it's just too many, it's just too much random stuff going on, too many random shots. It's, it's It should have been more focused. Like there should have been a bit more, like, less emphasis. I'm like, look at what I've done. Look at what all the visual effects guys have done. It's amazing, isn't it? Look, and then here's a little bit of this guy putting something in BBA. He'll come back. He'll come. This will come back, actually. We'll put this in the story. Maybe he shoots them later, the coins that this guy was popping in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they see these animals, these, like, horse lookalikes, who are from The Last Guardian, by the looks of it. And I don't mind this so much because we get a bit more of an insight into Rose, it fleshes out a character a little bit, gives a bit of depth, and it also kind of establishes a little bit as a working class hero. 
Ray does some lightsaber training in the next scene, um, but by herself, it would seem. And I like this just because it's a nice shot. Visually, I think it works. Her and Luke have a bit of a chat, and we hear him say about how Ben just mucked things up by being so powerful, basically. And I like this struggle that Luke has because he felt responsible for Leia's, you know, son, only son, and Han, obviously. Um, And Ben turned to the dark side. Um... And even though, you know, you can tell he's upset, I just kind of wish they made more more of how much of a personal toll this has taken on him. But this scene was, for me, probably the most important one, and especially for kind of sending me into this, like, Luke. And this is kind of what I wanted a little bit more of, and just a, a little bit, just a little bit like he's really... It's fine to have him as this old hermit, but let's really cut into the core of his like internal struggle on this, because that I think is a good point. The fact that it's your nephew, it's like the child of people that you love, that you've been through all this stuff with, you're responsible for him. And he's gone like evil, like full blown evil. And, you know, and then essentially it's your fault really. You know, we kind of come to learn a little bit, but yeah, we see this kind of flashback of Luke. Again, he's not quite, we know later on that he's not quite telling the whole truth here yet. And I like that. I like the way this is set up. I don't like the payoff, and I'll come to that. But I like the concept that there's a mystery here and we're kind of getting fed it bit by bit as it goes on. That, as a concept, is good. Um, Anyway, Ray says it's Ren's fault, not his. Tries to make it feel better, fine. Uh, Meanwhile, ships are getting blown up in space. They're trying to outrun the First Order in this slow chase. Finn is in prison, Del Toro helps him escape and says he can help with the code. How convenient. Like, what what to say on something like this? Like, they end up in jail with someone who can actually help. Fine. The ways that be of the force or whatever. Um, coincidence for the sake of story. I was just looking at this whole thing thinking, like, there is something they could have done here. I know he's trying to set it up, so it's like, there's no hope. Like, and that's the thing, like, to have a story about hope, which is kind of always what Star Wars is should be about to a degree, you've got to place someone or place, like, something in a, in a world where there's no hope. So they failed in their mission. Everything is hopeless. But who's that? Sharing a thing with someone else. So there is hope. And it's like, that's fine. And I don't mind things working to, you know, being generally convenient. But here it's like... There's no, it feels like there's no one else in these other cells. Um, I don't know. I just didn't dig it. Like, just do something else. But I didn't actually mind Benny Sid until his character playing basically a skinny version of what he was in um, Fear and Loathing. But yeah, I was just like, you're introducing too much. Like, there's too much kind of happening here. And this whole casino bit is just such a waste of time anyway. Fine. So. They've got this chase scene uh, that goes through the casino and it's a big visual effect spectacle. I don't really particularly like it. I think it's fine. Um, It does the job and it's trying to inject a bit more action in something that's maybe become a bit boring by now because it's not actually visually that much keeping people engaged. Uh, And it's a bit of a distraction. And I kind of get that this is supposed to be like a symbol for some kind of revolution happening, how it's like, you know, fuck the rich almost. And, you know, but it's just it's just way too CG heavy for a start. 
and I wasn't particularly entertained that much by it. And anyway, they have the whole thing with the race. You've seen it. You've seen it. So, or have you? So Luke starts using the force to contact Leia and, um, yeah, he realizes that, you know, she's something's wrong. Uh, and Ray and Ren again have this other little chat. She mentions about him having to put a shirt on, shirtless. Kylo Ren is brilliant. <laughs> so thick, like a thick slab. And yeah, we're kind of pushing the whole fact that there's some sexual tension here. So this kind of, this did two things. So one, it kind of pushed uh, people into thinking, well, they can't be related, right? Because they wouldn't, Star Wars and Disney, whatever, wouldn't allow this kind of sexual tension to go with people who are actually brother and sister. Because there's always an element of like, you know, in the first film, anyway, Force Awakens, where it's like, oh, what is their relationship? And then now that it's getting actually explicitly quite sexual, it's like, oh, well, they can't actually be related. So I guess Ray isn't anything to do with the Skywalker lineage. And obviously we find out what she is later on. But Ren here, but, but, well, and also there's, sorry, there's the people that think, that actually <laughs> it's going to be like a Luke Leia thing. They're going to fancy each other and be like, actually, we're brother and sister. Oh my God, we were so close. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and it doesn't. So, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, fine. They can find out a bit more about the story. And he's kind of connecting with her now. You feel like, oh, there's like a, something's building here. Like this is the fact they're not trying to kill each other. There's actually like, there is some sort of connection. And... I wish, story-wise here, that they'd made a bit more of the fact that um, he felt abandoned, really, by his parents, by, you know, staying with Luke and training to be a Jedi, that actually he just wanted his mum and dad. And I thought that would have been quite nice, actually. That would have been a cool thing to kind of explore a bit more of an emotional weight, you know, like being kind of sent to a boarding school, almost, um, even though I have no experience of that, obviously, um, because I'm poor. But... (laughs) um, just that idea that it's like, your parents don't want you. Go with Luke and, you know, you're going to train to be a Jedi. Okay? Okay. That's so much potential, kid. But, yeah, and I like the idea of that started off this rebellion against his parents. That would have been quite nice. Um, and, yeah, the fact that, you know, she she was literally abandoned. So they both don't have parents and they're like, they feel very alone in the world and that's what's drawing them together. That's nice for me. I like that. I don't think it was ex- as explicit as it should have been. So anyway, we see, uh, we, st- we stick with Ray. She enters this um, dark hole that is on this Jedi island and she sees multiple versions of herself. Now, it's difficult because it's like, well, I'm thinking, what does this mean in terms of the story right now? Um, and when I say right now, I mean like as I'm, as in terms of the last Jedi storyline, what what's happening at this junction that this stuff would symbolize but now retroactively looking at it uh knowing about rise of skywalker and the stuff to do with that what does it actually what does it actually mean the answer is i don't really know but i'm going to kind of ponder a little bit so i wondered if this was like her lineage if that makes sense and it could be that the fact that she doesn't have a lineage that's why it's just a continual cycle of her because that's all she's ever known is just her. That is her lineage, is that there isn't one. Like, it's literally, she's just by herself. And the fact that it's all, like, dark and all that, it's, like, you know, she's completely isolated. Maybe it's that, and the way, like, you know, they do these movements and it kind of copies and goes through, that how everything 
seems to always go full circle, right? The, the circularity literally of Star Wars, that there's always a ray. There's always something like that. There's always a light and a dark. And, you know, as I said, it could be a metaphor for the Star Wars films themselves, really. They're clones of each other. Um, but yeah, so, and she walks to the reflect this reflection expecting to see her parents and instead she sees herself. So there's the idea again here that it makes no difference who her parents are, that there's, it doesn't make a difference who she is really, just that there will always just be another Ray, another Luke, another hero. Um, but the way it's like she's turning in on herself and it's all going backwards um, from her, that at this point she's kind of facing herself in more ways than one. And also it's there's like the idea that this is like an, a beginning and an ending, right? She's the last Jedi, or is she the last Jedi, whatever, but as in she's looking at herself and this is the break in that circle, right? Also, the fact that they're all kind of copying her um, and what she's doing feels like there's an element here where she's the one in control and where this could all lead. And does she, like, it's almost not to always talk about Dark Souls, but not to, like, link the first flame again, as in to, like, does she want to keep the circle going, and just copy what everyone else has done before? Or does she have that control that she can do something a bit different, turn away from the reflection, go away from the cycle? Um, don't know. So, yeah. I was also thinking perhaps it's her, this, the fact that there's this mirror or whatever in the middle shows the break in terms of her personality. Is there a dark side versus a light side that's going on within her? Um, they don't really show that there's much of a difference, That if you know what I mean, between her and her reflection, all at one's evil. And again, this kind of plays into Rise of Skywalker a little bit, but I don't know, it was an idea at the time. Um, and the sense of like, which one is she? Which side does she truly stand on? Don't know. So anyway, Ray and Kylo, um, again, have this little moment together and Luke stops it. And he explains properly what happened with Ben. And that this is the problem that basically, so Luke went to kill his nephew, let's be honest, in a split second because he saw evil within him, that Snoke had touched him and made his heart so evil at that moment. And I was thinking, well, if he's made him so evil, like he hasn't done anything right by this point. So why do you think his heart and everything is so full of evil? And yet he's done absolutely nothing. Surely that shows that he's a better judge of character or he's actually, you know, it's harder for him, like give him more support because he's not done anything. And yet he's got all this like anger or evil, or whatever within him. And he's been tainted and yet he's able to fight it. Right. Rather than like, I better kill him just to, just to be sure, especially, especially after what we saw in Return of the Jedi, where he literally is like, I believe in Darth Vader. Darth Vader, done, imagine all that fucking shit he done. And he's like, don't care, don't care. I'm going to find the, the hope within him. He's a human in there somewhere. And that's what we loved about Luke, right? Is that he was beyond good, if that makes sense. So there's people who do heroic stuff and all this stuff, but he was so pure of heart and believed so strongly in the force of good and the fact that, you know, love and hope and all this stuff was was so pure and so strong 
that it would defeat all evil. That was how the culmination of the Star Wars trilogy um, was put together. Is that even in the darkest, darkest, darkest of darks, and that is Darth Vader, Luke was able to bring out the light. Successfully as well, keep in mind. So this same Luke was about to literally chop down his nephew, who hadn't done anything that we know of anyway, story-wise at least, in Cold Blood. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In his sleep as well. Makes it worse. And I just, I know, I, can, I just couldn't get over it. I just think it's such a lack of understanding. People going, no, but it's cool, but it's doing this. It's like, I get it. And I'm not, I'm not a Star Wars like fanboy properly, but it's more that it's like, those are the things that resonate with you as a child and growing up and things like that. And the, and the fact that classic stories play on the fact that the hero is the hero. He's the ultimate good. And you say, oh, that's cheesy or so boring. Yeah, but that is the classic mythical storytelling of all time that has, that has worked for countless generations. And yeah, it might be seen as oh, so blunt, uh, passe or whatever now. Yes. Oh, no, we want something new and different. Yes. Okay, that's fine. This is Star Wars, which is about (laughs) good versus evil. And okay, you can play around with that a little bit. But when you start doing stuff like this to the hero, and, you know, this, he's not just like a person, a hero. He's a symbol, which they do play into into this film. Yes, the symbol of hope and all this. Yeah, that's right. And I don't mind that Luke has these like moments where things are awful or he thinks things are bad. That's fine. And this is the problem that if they'd made this whole scene something where Kylo was maybe, um, whatever it is, Ben, let's say, was training with another Jedi, things got a bit too hit up or he went overboard and almost killed the other person and Luke had to like stop him with his lightsaber or something then I would have been a bit more like, okay, fuck. Like the fact that Luke stepped in means that he's, and he saw that evil means that he is literally like 
this guy's fucked. Like, Ben is pure evil because he almost fucking killed this other Jedi I'm training or something like that. That would have made more sense. Why have it that he's going to chop him down in his sleep other than to make Luke look like a monster? And you don't have to do that. I don't, I don't really understand what, that's, what that proves or what that's trying to do, if that makes sense. And in all honesty, like, if anyone wants to talk to me about it more or call me an idiot and things like that. I'm, I'm all for it. But in my personal opinion, it, it just could have been done like better, basically. Um, why not try and save him? I don't get it. It's just going against everything that's happened before. People are like, that's a good thing. It's going against it. Playing with expectations. It's like, but yeah, you can play with expectations if you're making things better. <laughs> Don't just be like, as again, tossing that lightsaber away just because I want to do different. Hey, <laughs> what do you think about that? Drop the mic. Pshh. How about that? It's like, well, that's not, what's that doing? What's the bigger story here? Rather than you're just trying to provoke a reaction, which is exactly what it did. It's the same as like when just people, you know, put up comments on Twitter or whatever that they know will rile people up. And then it's like they get like a million followers <laughs> Aware of the back of it, it's like, hey, just my opinion, whatever. Like, I'm just trying to do something different. I'm just thinking another way. It's like, that's lame. That is really lame. And there's reasons why things like this work and don't work. And there's a, people a lot smarter that do use these kind of staples and these stereotypes and these mythical stories um, and use them effectively. And doing something like this, I was just like, this isn't really not on. So I had a real problem with the scene. I think a lot of people did. And it sounded like Mark Hamill did as well. Um, but, yeah. So he kind of explains it um, by saying, you know, oh, he'd already given up to Snoke. This is Ben. Um, and the dark side, and he was just dark. He was just evil. So we have to take his word for it, he was evil. Uh, yeah, it just it should have been somewhere he was just forced to act not in his sleep as I said and you know Luke goes to burn down this tree this big Jedi tree or whatever it is and inside they've got some Jedi books by the way Um, and Yoda appears and he's like it's just a tree like who cares Jesus it's not about things it's about what you have learned failure is important it's the greatest teacher you know and that's a nice message to say and I quite enjoyed the fact that you know Yoda was here and there was things where I was just like, bring Anakin back. Like, and not Hans Christian Anderson, not, um, what's his name? Bring in Hayden Panettiere. Um, bring Anakin or something back. Like, you know, you can do that, right? CG it. You know, you CG everything else, right? But, okay, Yoda. Yoda was the one that actually trained him. Fine. I don't mind that. Um, and, yeah, and the fact he's kind of like saying to Luke, you know, come on, mate. <laughs> like, pull your straps up. Right, stop being a stop whinging like a teenager. You know, go out, get out and do something about it. Fine. So we're back to Benito del Toro and Finn and Rose, and they're on this ship. And I like the sentiment here. And again, it's you know it's nothing new, but whatever. And del Toro is saying that you know there's no good or bad. It doesn't matter because it's all the same. Someone like him, he lives outside it. Do what you want. That's that's how you should live your life. And I quite like the idea of that and having a character that's all about that, that's kind of morally grey, a bit dubious. Um, and the idea that it's like, things aren't just like good and evil. Like, you think you're fighting on the good side, you could be on the evil side like by tomorrow. 
That's just how, th- how the way things work. This ship that we're on is sending weapons to the good guys and the bad guys because people like us, we just don't really care. Like, what's it got to do? And I like the idea that they put this kind of perfect knowledge almost, this uh, faith, this belief, this hope again, into question by basically saying like, you know, what what does it matter really in the, in the long term? Like, it's, it's all for, for now. It doesn't really matter if you're good or bad. And it's a kind of struggle within the films as well, especially within this film, that they it's good to like explore. It's kind of thrown away a little bit here and don't not really particularly bothered about what they do with, with this character. Um, it was okay, but I liked the idea that it's like putting in some grey areas into a very good and bad universe is interesting. And I know like people go, oh, it just goes against what you just said. I'm not saying that it does have to, things have to be perfectly good and perfectly bad because like the force, there's light and shade to everyone, right? So the fact that it's, and like any war, there's the fact that there's people who don't care what side wins, they just profit from it. That's interesting. I don't mind that. Again, they they talk about it. It's not, don't really do anything with it, do they? But yeah, okay. It kind of explains Del Toro's thinking later on. Great, serves that purpose, fine. Also, this is kind of where I thought the new trilogy might go, to be brutally honest. And this was in before Force Awakens was released, because I quite liked the idea that power, you know, power corrupts and that maybe the Republic or whatever the Rebellion, who would be in charge after they defeated the Death Star in Return of the Jedi, would have gained power, set up a new government or whatever, and a um, new Republic, and would have just turned evil. Like and, and the way things do. So taking the whole fact that Star Wars is basically like a circle or that life is a circle, essentially, and playing up to it. So they would give a rise to a new form of heroes who may be, um, you know, there's all this stuff dedicated to Luke and Leia and whatever. Um, but actually at the basis of it, there's still this kind of, there's people who just want to be in charge and they're evil by their nature. And so you have a, heroes kind of battling the Republic who might be seen as evil, but actually aren't. I don't know. I kind of thought that's maybe where the new trilogy might have been going. It's kind of an interesting way that I wanted it to go. But and it's, but the fact they kind of talk about it here a little bit, it, it reminded me um, when I was watching it of way back when, um, where I was like, going, God, it will be really interesting if they do that. Because I was like, well, who's going to be the bad guys? Because the Empire's gone. So... You know, how how will they re-engage that again? And I was like, well, if they're clever with it, then the people who are in charge, the good guys, are now the Empire and the bad guys. And they don't even know about it. They don't even realise it. That would have been more of an interesting story for me. Didn't happen. Um, they just redid the original trilogy instead and thought, fuck it. So Poe then suddenly gets way too overzealous and thinks abandoning ship is actually the wrong move. So he's going to buy Finn more time. Um, I don't really understand his thinking behind this and why he thinks abandoning the ship is the wrong move. I I think he's literally kind of putting everything, it seems like, all his eggs in one basket, which is Finn, to do this tracking thing and get away. Maybe it's a pride thing. Possible? Don't know. Um, So yeah, Ray turns up to the um, evil base, basically, and um, Finn, with everyone else, has now come on board, so they're all... Um, essentially in one one spot. Poe is trying to explain the plan to Laura Dern. And Laura Dern's like, you've put us all at risk, you know. I don't really know how he's put them all at risk because it's like a stealth mission, essentially. Like, what 
what is the harm really in trying? Why have they put them all at risk? But she ends up being right because, <laughs> because basically, you know, they know what the actual plan is, I guess. Does Finn even know? But I don't really understand her knowledge here of like why she thinks everyone's been put at risk. Uh, whatever. So there's a mutiny basically here now. Um, and then the next shot where there's just like big, like, like a ship landing, we see is actually like an iron, um, you know, steam ironing the uh, First Order um, clothes. And I don't really understand why we're making these visual gags. Like a bit of a crucial time. It's like adding some levity. And it's like, it's, it, may, it makes you, one, it's not an in-game in game, in context joke, in the sense of it's not two people cracking jokes with each other. It's instead, it's for the audience, it's for us, which it takes you out because then you're basically at a very crucial moment because then it reminds you that you're watching a film and that this is being directed and that there are things here that are being presented to you on purpose. You're not in the room or anything like that. And films can obviously do that and do really well with it and keep you engaged. Having a visual gag like this, again, is a bit like Spaceballs. I don't get it. I just think it's a bit weirdly inappropriate. So anyway, they see Snoke and we get a tease again for Kylo knowing who uh, Ray's parents are and, you know, that there's some kind of lineage or whatever. Um, so now uh, the pacing is cool here. So Finn and his team get into this track a bit and Del Toro uses the bit of uh, Rose's sister or whatever and then gives it back to her. So it's like, oh, you think, oh, he's a good guy. You know, he's all right, um, really, behind it. Or he's not, he can't be that selfish, right? And they're caught. And the silver trooper, what's her name? Gwendolyn Christie or whatever, turns up. And why? Don't I don't know. Do we actually care who she is? She was set up as a big deal, right, in the first film and then she wasn't really and now she's in this one for like a minute, I guess. And it's, her character is just ridiculous. It's weird. It's, it's like they went, here's some new characters that look cool, right? We don't know what we're going to do with them yet, but we'll work them in somewhere. But we just kind of, some ideas we had and now we're definitely going to write them in the film. And, and it, even more, and this was Force Awakens. So even more so Last Jedi, it's like, oh, we've got to obviously bring back some people from the first film because of course we do. Because why even have them? Poe is taken prisoner by Leia and Laura Dern is going to stay behind. And she says, oh, she likes how bold, bold he is, as in Poe. Um, she hadn't shown any of this so far, so it becomes a bit unexpected. And literally just at the last second, they're trying to make her nice. Like, she's not the bad guy, see? She's actually really nice. And, you know, she's a bit fun. It's like, right, okay. Um, and like, she's only like this with Carrie Fisher. It's like, she could have just shown a little bit of this earlier and it would have been fine like she didn't have to be such a bitch basically to a degree with poe um whilst he was being a dick she could have just been a bit more like you know amicable like good leaders are right don't know anyway the escape pods go off so snoke is now playing around with ray and this bit's cool quite like these kind of weird setups these scenes i like the room itself um, he teases about Kylo Ren, says he made the connection. You know, he's going to, he played them both like a fiddle. Um, it was all him the whole time. And you're like, oh, okay. So he could have them connect to each other, but he still couldn't figure out where Ray was, even though he was connecting her to Kylo. 
and it's something to do with distance is the thing, I guess. So surely he would have been able to track her somewhat. Don't know. Don't know how the force works, do he? So she could, he could literally just make up anything. Doesn't matter. Um, Leia explains the plan to Poe, who's, God, he's just so thirsty for information. He's got absolute FOMO about everything. But, yeah, fine. And then we see um, that Del Toro, we go back to Finn, Del Toro's told the First Order so about the escape pods. So basically Finn and Rose have actually made everything a million times worse. And all the blood on those people, on, of those people are now on their hands. If they just stayed where they are and just done what they're supposed to, none of this, none of the bad stuff would have happened. But here they are. So I hope they feel happy about it because they certainly don't react to it in any way. Um, really, Finn is the ultimate enemy of the trilogy. <laughs> Isn't he? Uh, sorry. So we get this cool bit where Snoke dies. I quite liked it. I didn't mind this. I didn't expect them to um, kill Snoke. And I know it's like, again, as I was saying earlier, like just to be different doesn't mean it's necessarily good. But I was like, okay, I quite like the idea that it's like, you know, Kylo Ren is actually the big bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he's killed, he's killed Snoke. He's actually, he wants to be the big evil and I'm up for that. I'm fi- I'm fine. So I wish they'd done more with Snoke generally. And this is one of the things that, um, I like the way that Rise of Skywalker deals with Snoke in the next film. But, you know, at this point in time, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's like the big bad and he's dead now. Right, cool, cool. Um, and it's a bold move. So that's why I like it. It's bold and it actually serves the story somewhat. Um, because I think it kind of gives rise to, it works in, in a sense of Kylo's character and making him, is he good? Is he just doing this for more power? So it works. It serves a story. It's not just for effect. So, yeah, I just really wish they made more of Snoke really in the first film, I guess, in, I guess in that case, rather than just, as a you know, didn't really do much even in this one did he so we get a cool fight sequence um and this was great i thought even though if you look at the details of how people were fighting around them it's a little bit lame and weird like you know you get those kung fu movies where people were pretending to be hit and they've not even not even near them um and ren wants to head into the future together he says he's making this he's putting a hand out to ray here he's like, let the past die all this stuff which is kind of understandable, right? Because he hates living in the past, and why would you? And, you know, you can see why. Um, That's part of me thinking, is it so bad that he wants to restore order? Like, it seems like everything's a mess right now. Is the fact that... is it, Or is it just the fact that he used the word order? That we're like, oh, don't want order. Don't want order. Like, well, someone's got to lead something, right? What's so... Oh, but he's evil. It's like, well, is he still... So he's still evil because he wants to make sure that the world, the universe is in order? Is it still a power thing? Like, could that not just mean peace, maybe? Um, anyway, we find Ray's parents are nobody, apparently. Oh, they're nobody. Okay. Whatever. It still works for Rise of Skywalker, really, and the fact that... Um, and spoiler for Rise of Skywalker. Woo, woo, woo. The fact that Ray is the granddaughter still could mean the parents and nobodies, which essentially they are. But the fact that she's nothing I thought was great. And I liked it. Spoilers over, by the way. So her lineage doesn't matter. It's also kind of, I like, how do I say this? Like I like less of the royal blood chosen by God kind of element. And more like anyone could suddenly harness the force. Hey, you could be the next Luke Skywalker. You don't have to be 
born with this bloodline or whatever to be like super sensitive to the force. I like that as a as an idea. And I thought it would have been good. And that's how I quite liked Force Awakens because I was a bit like, I like the idea that Ray's just powerful. She doesn't even know it. She's from nowhere. But no, of course, she has to be someone. So the lightsaber breaks. And I guess this is kind of indicating how they are equal in power. And then Laura Dern, <laughs> so she turns the... She turns the ship around and she goes into hyperspace through the ships. Now, I guess the question here is, does what is what is doing it? Is the acceleration does the acceleration to hyperspace do it? So essentially it's like, you know, driving your car through like what, a wheat field or something like that. Is it the hype is it the hyperspace itself? Is it turning through things? But also, when things have gone in hyperspace before, they don't seem, even if they're, like, going through things, it doesn't seem to have an effect. And even in Rise of Skywalker, there's, an, there's a scene where there's, like, quite very near the beginning, where there's, like, this big worm, and they're jumping through hyperspace. And I don't really understand that, but anyway. And they go through this worm thing. But it doesn't tear it up or anything. So what what's actually doing the tearing here? Is it just a kamikaze thing? I don't really understand, but... You know, that's like hyperspace and all this stuff. Like, if we're going into like a real astrophysics side of it, isn't it just about it's kind of tearing through space and time? So, in essence, you're not you're not physically moving. Otherwise, you would be mass, right? And to travel so fast, you surely have to have no no mass or even like you know negative mass, right? In order to travel through time and space, so. I don't really, I don't really understand how it kind of works. Again, it's Star Wars. Don't, I shouldn't get so obsessed. Like you can't even hear anything in space, can you? What does it matter? But rather than this boom, um, you know, it also beckons why they wouldn't have just done this for the first film, first Star Wars film, do it to the Death Star. Like, oh, and they say in like Rise of Skywalker, oh, the Holden maneuver, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really risky. It's like. Is what's what is risky about it? Because kamikaze stuff, like driving your plane or your car into something, is not risky. It's the the risk is that you'll die, and it's a high risk, and you've already come to terms with it. And the whole reason you're doing it anyway is to make www sure that you're hitting <laughs> like you know it's not a miss or anything like that because you're there with it until the last microsecond. Well, obviously, like through the whole thing. So you're making sure that it hits. You're making sure that there'll be damage done. So surely there's no risk attached to it whatsoever. If they said, oh, we're going to go into like near hyperspace, maximum thrusters or something like that, it would kind of make more sense maybe. But um, yeah, I don't know. So we cut back to Finn and BB-8's in this like Walker thing. That was a, I know it's a hero moment for BB-8 and probably some of the kids loved it. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy now. This is like... They're literally like, we have to give him something to do because we've hardly used him and he's like, everyone loved him in the first film. Fine. Um, the, silver, the silver trooper, Queen and Christie, dies. But again, zero emotional investment, really. They make it sound as if it's like a big deal. Play it out like it's a big deal. And it's like, it's, it's not really that big a deal. It shouldn't have anything to do, generally. And if you're if, you, if this was your first film of the trilogy, you'd be like, okay, he's just killed a stormtrooper, basically. Um, he's like a bit better than the rest of them and he's silver and shiny. Fine. Um, and then, yeah, we cut back to Ren. Ray's escaped. And I like how Hux was about to kill Ren. That was quite funny. 
Um, and just generally their brotherly uh, rivalry, I think is quite enjoyable because um, they're very the same, but very different. Um, and then, so we've got these, so we're at this um, salt planet or whatever, and there's some really cool shots on here, I think. This is kind of the pinnacle of the, the climax of the film. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It opens up and apart from the fact that it looks cool, I don't really understand why they've left the hangar door open and that like, what are they doing? Just looking out. Um, and yeah, they almost got killed just from that alone. Uh, it was weird. I don't like the ice dogs. I don't like those kind of CG, pure CG animals that, that it looks, it looks like something from an anime and I love anime. Um, but I just don't think it worked here whatsoever. And they, they go on about how the only way in or out is through the front doors, but yet, there are trenches with doors, right? So I don't understand. Like they can get in and out. It's not the only way in or out. Like anyone who's played Battlefront 2 as well or anything, it's like, yeah, send a whole bunch of troops over there, go into the trenches and flush them out. Like it's like, no, we can't. It's like, there's only like 10 of them in there or whatever. There's like no one there. It You can do that. It's fine. But no, it's a film. So, you know, whatever. So the Millennium Falcon makes an appearance and comes in to save them all whilst they're trying to blow up this battering ram or whatever. And the sound design's pretty cool here. Like it feels like each shot, you're like, that I can feel that. Um stuff looks great. It's always great to see Millennium Falcon flying around. There's part of me, it's just like, can you get another ship that just looks cool? Why do you have to keep using all the fan service stuff? But fine. Yeah, it feels like those speeds of things went really, really fast. So Rose saves Finn and then what and they have, have a smooch and she's like caring about you know, we've got to care about what we have yeah um and that's quite similar to what Kylo Ren just did to Ray. it's like forget the past you know it's all about us we can do this together um yeah you know okay and then what I love is yeah she drags she drags him back like a little bit later and it's like they went really far so she must have done that really fast but okay it's a film I won't get too <laughs> caught up in it so Luke turns up has a nice little chat with Leia, all these little nice moments, and then goes out to take on the First Order, like he said he would do at the beginning. Remember? Remember that? So there's a few great shots here. Um, they fire at him, and I don't like this, like, sweeping off the shoulder thing, but I can live with it. Um, I wanted it to be, like, really heroic and not funny. It's like, just stop going to gags at very weird times to kind of be like, Oh, it's ironic because we're not gonna we're not gonna fully invest into him into these heroic moments. We're gonna make it a little bit funny and just ease that a little bit. So I don't want you to ease it. I want I want the bit these big heroic moments. I want that. Like imagine if like Luke when he destroyed the Death Star did that. You'd be like, the fuck is he doing? Like, this is a big moment, big heroic moment. But no, it's all right. Gets away with it here for some unknown reason. Is that it's a modern audience. And they don't, you know, everything's ironic. Everything has to be done with a snarky smile. You can't just take anything seriously for five minutes. Ugh. So, whatever, yeah. How funny, great. And Poe is suddenly like, oh, what? He's, he's buying us time. He's buying us time. And why? so if Luke wanted to do that, why did he not just say, it's like, look, I'm going to go out there. You guys, you have to run. You have to go find... Just say it. Just, no one fucking talks to each other in this film. And that's why everyone ends up dying all the time. 
is because no one says what they're doing. Everyone just expects everyone to be a fucking mind reader. So I don't even know. Like there was part of me that posed like, I think he's buying his time. I've got to get out. And there's part of me thinking, no, he's not. <laughs> like, why would you think that? Uh, weird, presumptuous. Um, oh God. Like, and that's the thing, right? If you're Luke and you're like, I'm going to go in there and buy these guys more time. Watch this. And then you go and you have these little chats and you go out and do it. Surely if that is your end goal to give them more time, why don't you give them even more time by explaining right from the beginning what you're about to do? Huh? They could have got out there even quicker. But no, you want to dick about or whatever. It's not like a heroic move either. Ugh, just whatever. So his showdown with Ren is pretty cool though. Um, you know, he's he's basically come to terms with the fact that Ren can't be saved. The good guys escape and uh yeah. I think it's good how they use these the kind of the self-importance of these personal vendettas um to defeat the bad guys, really, if you know what I mean. Like this is personal to Kylo Ren. He's put everything on the line just to fight Luke and he's basically lost <laughs> lost the whole thing because he let his personal feelings get in the way, which is all dark side related, I suppose. So you find out that Luke, in fact, it's not he's not actually there. He used an image of himself and it killed him. Uh, because it used up too much force. Again, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, we've kind of had force ghosts before, mainly when dead. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, you've kind of introduced a power a little bit, I guess, earlier. And now it's the saving of every, of the entire plot. And they do this again in Rise of Skywalker with the healing thing. And it's like, I don't like that. Like, don't just expand the force and its uses because you feel like you can. Like, there's things here where then you have to go back and think in your head as a, as a fan, as I do anyway, it's just, there's that, always that part in my brain that's like goes back through the rest of the films and things. Where else would have been a good time to be able to use that? <laughs> you know, where else would this have worked? Why didn't they do it then if this is canon? Um, and it's like, there's an element where it's like, again, just put in a throwaway line or something like I've been working on a new force move <laughs> or something like that's to say it like that is lame, but like something where it's like, I've been training to, you know, um, visualise where I am in other places and be able to do Like, you know what I mean? Just something where it's not just like, yeah, we did, we could do this all the time. We just chose not to. So, oh my God, it's lame. I hate it. So the idea of Luke and uh, him sacrificing himself, I'm good with. Don't mind that. Um, the kind of, you know, it ended on a, to end on a good note after all the whole battle we've had with him and then all this bitterness and the resentment that we've had throughout this entire film, to end on sacrificing himself for the bigger cause, fine. He has opened himself up to the Force now. He's had his moment and it's tenderly bittersweet. I don't mind that. Everything that preceded it, I probably have a problem with, but I don't mind the fact that he's killed himself, essentially, for the better good. He could have made more of an impact by actually telling them what would have happened, because otherwise he would have died and everyone inside would have been like, oh my God, and then like, what do we do now? What do we do now? That's it, there's no more hope. But instead it's like, oh, there's hope because we figured out that you wanted us to actually leave, even though they said that there's no way we can get in or out, even though there's actually a door that, that gets us into the trenches and even though there is actually a way out and there's just some rocks in the way. <laughs> so weird. So now the Rebellion get away, they're on the Millennium Falcon and there's like five of them. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's all about bringing hope back to the universe. You know, there's, no one came this time, but, you know, people might come, you know, it's maybe it inspires something for people to come next time. The legend of Luke will continue. And um, yeah, you're like, okay. Poe and Ray meet for the first time. 
<laughs> you forget that it's like, oh yeah, I guess they haven't really, have they? Right, um, fine. Uh, and then, you know, Ray seems to be happy that Finn is with Rose, which is quite nice. So I suppose that kind of relationship um, is nice. Uh, the fact that it's platonic and it's purely platonic and the fact that in the last Rise of Skywalker and um, this isn't really spoilers, but throughout there's something that they, there's a recurring joke slash thing where Finn is going to tell Ray something and you don't know what it is. Now it's presented to you and this is how I deemed it anyway. And I believe uh, many people I spoke to have presented to you that he actually like is in love with Ray and yeah, the, and I was a bit like, okay, I quite like the idea that it's platonic. Like people have platonic relationships where they aren't just attracted to each other. And I thought this was that. And then I was like, I was thinking, oh, the Kylo thing, you know, are they trying to do like a Twilight here where it's like the evil guy is actually the good guy and the good guy is actually like, you know, a bit lame and not that good or whatever, I don't know. But they didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of it. Instead, they just... I don't know. I don't know what they what they did by having that happen in the Rise of Skywalker. But here, it's like Ray's happy for Finn, and I liked that. Finn's with Rose, and I was like, I like Finn with Rose. It's good, you know. They've kind of, you know, started on a rough note, and they've got this relationship going. And obviously, none of that spoilers is in Rise of Skywalker. But um, fine. So Leia and Ray have a little moment. I don't know why Leia seems to care for her so much. Really, when they only met five seconds ago. Maybe it's a forced thing, don't know, but fine. And then we cut and we see these kids telling stories to each other and these just look like they've just come from bloody Sylvia Young Drama School or whatever. They look like theatre kids. And one uses his broom and he's able to pick it up with a bit of force by the looks of it and holds it up like an erect penis. I mean, a lightsaber. And then that's it. That's the end of The Last Jedi. Some posh kid holding up his dick to the stars. What, what do you think? It was tough to even like go through it again and to even watch it again, but also just discussing it. And as you could probably tell listening to it, I wasn't too hot on, on it and the story beats that they had decided on and the character developments and going into Rise of Skywalker, I was reading an article about this actually. The only thing that would really stop Force Awakens going straight into um uh straight into rise of skywalker is the fact that snoke died and that luke essentially died right that's that's kind of it um everything else nothing nothing really mattered did it and the problem is is that a lot of the a lot of the storylines came in from one because ryan johnson didn't set anything up very easy it's very easy to take something that's had one or two, whatever, um, chapters, let's say, and build upon it. But if you're in the middle film, then, and you've got nowhere to go, which it doesn't really, like, it tries to be like, oh, there's hope. Oh, look at these kids. That's, that's, that's what we'll build on. It's like, it's not that much to build on though, is it? I was, and at the end of it, I was thinking, oh, okay, is it that like more and more people are force sensitive and actually there's going to be a ton of Jedis out there and we're going to see them? No. Nope. Don't know. That was the only thing that I was maybe like, okay, maybe that's setting something up. Everything else was just close, close, closed. Race parentage, closed. Snoke, closed. First order, eh, nothing. Didn't open anything. It's just still around, I guess. Kylo Ren, didn't really matter. 
did it? To be honest, like there wasn't, there was nothing here that really changed him apart from maybe he fancied Ray a little bit and he fought Luke, but again, there was nothing he could, he could easily go into the third film and none of the second film happening. And I don't think he would have changed that much. Um, yeah. So weird film because it just goes to show that you need someone overseeing the whole lot. And in a sense, Kathleen Kennedy failed. Uh, didn't she really? She, that was her job. She was supposed to be like the Kevin Feige, if you say his name, of Star Wars, and she didn't do it because he had a roadmap, very clear roadmap, and he took his time with it as well, didn't he? If you think about it, and I think he's very vocal about this, like establishing who everyone is rather than doing a DC thing and having Justice League when you're introducing a whole bunch of characters just through that alone. Um, it's a bit different, isn't it? Like you need to take your time with it and Star Wars did not do that really what they should what they should have done is if you ask me is not done any of the side films they should have waited I know they wanted to get that money back quick but waited and developed out if they wanted it and that's fine to do a trilogy and you're Disney and you know I worked for Disney so you know you've got the money and you've got the time and there's been time people are willing to wait a bit longer to be like, here's going to be the three films. We've mapped it all out. We know exactly where, where all of it's going. Instead, they wanted to get that first film out very quickly to get people back on board to get that money coming in because they knew how long everything was going to take. Because they didn't want to say like, right, well, we'll get, you know, it's going to take us 10 years before we get the first movie out. <laughs> really? They don't want to hear that. So um, they want it now, now, now. But if they'd have just played it a bit cooler, um, they could have done something really special. And that's what annoys me more than anything is that, you know, Carrie Fisher died. Um, the other guys are getting old. I'm not saying they're going to die anytime soon, obviously, but like, you know, these guys are old. And the whole idea is that it was, you know, and if you remember back not too long ago before we heard um, Disney were even going to buy Lucasfilm, you'd think, you know what? They're all still alive. They're all still doing stuff. It would be great. You know, it is still a potential possibility to get a real proper Star Wars sequel. And I still don't think we really got it. And now that Carrie Fisher's died and the fact they're not really returning to this this storyline apparently anymore, whatever, um, we'll never really get it. And maybe that's people saying, well, we did get it. Force Awakens, or Last Jedi was really good, actually. F- fine. But it will never... It, I don't think it had enough time, basically. I don't think there was enough development went into it. And I mean, as a trilogy, because they knew they were making a trilogy. Like they knew, they knew that Force Awakens would make money. Obviously they knew. So if they'd have just taken a step back, and I don't mind if JJ Abrams did all three either. Don't mind that. They can do that. Um, I don't think he's a particularly bad, you know, director. I don't particularly like much of his stuff. Um, I liked the first Star Trek film. But again, I was like, I'm not, I don't like it that much. And I actually, I thought directing was pretty awful visually, but whatever. But it's like, you know, at least it would be like, here's someone and they're going to oversee the whole lot. I know people are like, what do you do? He produced the second one. It's like, clearly there was, that no one was talking to each other, basically, in this new trilogy. And it's a shame. So, and the thing is, like, I'll still go back and I'll watch Last Jedi. Visually, I think it looks great. I do think it looks good. And... I'm, you know, I didn't get bored of it. I still liked it. 
Um, I still like to watch it for the fact that it's like spaceships shooting at each other and things like that. But as a Star Wars film and as part of a trilogy, it's pretty bad. Um, and again, I'm not going to bring up, dredge up all those comments and people's opinions about saying that's oh, the best Star Wars film in ages. It's fine, like whatever. Um, I've given the reasoning behind all the points and all the bits of why I think it, it might not be as good as what um, I thought it could be. And I'd be interested if people just think I'm just wrong. Um, so yeah, do let me know. Yeah, I'm interested, very, very interested um, about what you guys think. So please do email me a new winter podcast at gmail.com or you can go to uh, Twitter and Instagram at a new winter. And yeah, let me know. Um, please do because I want to, I want to hear more about it. And thanks very much for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening, guys. And if you enjoyed the show, then remember to rate and review us or go to patreon.com slash a new winter to find out how you can get exclusive content. See ya. Culture. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.